Did you see my Hellraiser story story? Hellraiser story. On Instagram? I don't know what you're talking about. You know there's stories on Instagram? Mm-hmm. I had there was one that I had that said acupuncture helps with depression or something, but it was a picture of Pinhead. You know Pinhead? Ah, yes. I don't uh, that scares me because a lot of needles. So like needles. I did like a whole like a three movie marathon of Hellraiser mm-hmm. like a couple days ago. Which, I did see, I remember now. Go ahead. Yeah. I really I grew up liking that mm-hmm. that horror movie. Because mm-hmm. you like to be poked. Yeah. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, what let's talk about young Melanie, why were you interested in this? In this particular, like that was my, that was my series. Like my friend, hers was Friday the 13th. Mine was Hellraiser. Because I felt like one of the um, characters was actually really pretty. Mm. It was that Scorpio moon you got. Is it? Mm -hmm. And they were like paying pleasure. There was like this whole middle ground. There's a lot of, I'm like looking back now, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of BDSM and like other kind of stuff in this movie. Yeah. You want to watch it with me? Nope. Welcome back to the Dance Union Podcast, where we talk about the eggy, the egregious, the exciting, the elastic, the elongated world of being a dancer and an artist. I am Melanie. And I am the ecstatic Jay Bowie. That was the driest way to say ecstatic. Yeah. We're trying this thing. We're trying this thing where we like do the opposite of what the thing is. Oh, you are. but And, and, and it rubbed off. But Okay. And this is the, the Dance, Dance Union, Union Podcast. All right, Podcast. 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 We're just oh, changing the. Yeah, the <laughs> O now sounds like an I. I don't know. All right, you're you're in the you're in the upside down. I am world right oh now. Oh my gosh, maybe I will be for the entire month of October. It, it doesn't like... feel like it should be October, so maybe that's the I reason know. why I feel like it should just be what September, August, maybe like Let's late try August. April. Okay. <laughs> just six. Just roll it back six months. <laughs> um, and we are joined in the studio today by a wonderful dance artist. Please introduce yourself. Hi. Thanks for having me so much. Um, my name is Leo, and I'm a dance artist with Give Me Dance Company. Woo-hoo! Fantastic. Yeah. Welcome. Um, I wanted to say for what I was going to say, um, crap, something about, oh, yeah, nope. I'm just gonna edit that out, <laughs> or not. I had it, and it just like, whoosh, you know, I just I saw happens. the blur. Anyways, go ahead. Um, so Melanie has a um, no. How are you doing today? I'm <laughs> <laughs> doing great. Yeah. That's what you forgot. <laughs> no, that's not. It wasn't. It was something else. But I realized if I skipped that, I wouldn't have ever asked you how are you doing today. So well, thank how you are for you asking. doing? I'm great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. It's a really like cloudy day today. It's it's the perfect kind of Sunday for me because I love overcast, overcast, like mid weather. Is that the thing? Mid weather. Sure. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's not oh, dry. Oh, this is it's the not... best. It's my favorite kind of weather. Oh god. Yeah. I am on the opposite end of both of you. If I didn't have to leave the house today, I wouldn't. Mm. But it's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's a good Sunday where you feel like justified to stay in. Yes. Mm -hmm. And 
Yes. Yeah. It feels right. And then you kind of feel rewarded for leaving the house because it's not so bad. Mm. Like you, for me, I look outside, I'm like, oh, that looks terrible. And then when I do leave, I'm like, oh, it's not so bad. And then I kind of have a perhaps, little extra pep in my perhaps, stuff. Yeah. And then when you actually come back home, you feel accomplished. Yeah. You feel, yes. and then you I'll earn, you I'm not, I don't like, I have to change my language around like earning rest, but. I feel like then when I lay in the bed, I, I have accomplished something. Child, that is the worst. Can I say this was the worst? Is when you've like rested all damn day and then it's time to go to bed and you can't even go to sleep. <laughs> and you're so fucking rested. I like, and I, it's an issue. I'm just saying. I don't remember the last time that happened to me though. It, I'm just saying. It recently <laughs> happened to me. I was like, damn. Oh. I've been actually in this bed for a couple of hours now. Mm. Not even sleeping. <laughs> Not even sleeping. <sighs> So, I yeah. like to, well, and that's the thing when you say earn your rest, because I feel oh, like God. when I'm able to like really do a lot of work and like, you know, be physically active, do walks and all this stuff, then I feel like when I get in the bed, that sleep is so deliciously earned. It feels so good. I, yeah, I just have to, we'll, we'll get more into it when we jump into the main subject, but I just, I realized that um, I like kill myself when I realize I, when I hold that rhetoric of like I have to earn my rest, like mm -hmm. I then agree. I have this unbalanced, like uh, super dichotomous, like extreme collapsing, resting, um, like what is, what's another word from like crashing. Oh yeah. And then like a peak of like, I have to do all the things oh. to earn the rest that I just got yesterday I from see. crashing. Yeah. I see. See, mine um, comes after the fact, not before. So I don't okay. do the things of like, I'm doing all this stuff so I can get the rest. I'm, do I'm like, I do the things. I'm like, ooh, job. You earned you some rest. <laughs> mm, that feels good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. do you have a history for our future? Future, future, future. Echo. I do. And I'm just going to pull straight from the program um, that I received um, when I went to Fall for Dance at the New York City Center. Lady Five Lady. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that. You ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. In 1943, Mayor, I'm going to say Ferrano, Ferrelio. How you spell? Aurelio, right there. Looks Italian. Spanish? Yep. All right. F-I-O-R-E-L-L-O. Right. Last name LaGuardia and city council president. Oh, man, LaGuardia. You could have said LaGuardia. Okay. Well, I didn't know if it was his nephew or his son. And President Newbold Morris established New York City Center, Manhattan's first performing arts center, as a place where dance, theater, opera, and music could be enjoyed under one roof. Mm. Mm. The vision. Bringing <laughs> together performing arts for all New Yorkers at affordable prices. Now, this beautiful, distinctive neo-Morish theater welcomes over 300,000 annual guests. And, um, yeah, yada yada. You can look them up and check them out and see all of the great things that they are doing. Also, one of their, uh, Fall for Dance. Yeah was premiered what didn't this happen 2011 was the first fall that for was? dance festival oh, mm -hmm. i thought wow. it's been going i thought it's been going on for a long time yeah that was like my life maybe like right. <laughs> i was yeah. thinking like decades 2011 y'all wow. wow. celebrating dance in all its form it invites ex existing and new dance lovers to experience emerging and well-known artists its affordable ticket prices are thrilling and um usually sell out so and sell i've heard in like a couple seconds yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, I haven't been able to go because by the time it's on my radar, the tickets are sold. Yes. Yeah, this was my first time going and it was packed. And I, I will say I was just I was glad to see that there are still folks who want to yeah. invest in and yeah. support the arts. Yeah. So also, I'm, I'm glad that um, that we talked about a history of like a performance space, because when I was watching Netflix's um, Explained in the episode about billionaires, mm -hmm. um, 
we, we, they um, talked about, <laughs> like I was in conversation <laughs> with them. Um, they talked about uh, Carnegie. So we know, like, we know Carnegie Hall. We know mm-hmm. Carnegie Museum and all these other things that are named after him. Um, and he was in, he had a certain kind of philosophy about dying wealthy that he was like, it's unjust for a really wealthy person to die wealthy and that it's important to like give back to humanity. So that's why we have these places named after him. Like, whoa. So I was like, that's. I did not know that. Right. Yes. And also, it's also fun to die with your name on a whole bunch of buildings. It is. For I mean, sure. I would, I, I, I love when people give without the vanity yeah. of like my name on it. But I mean, the, it doesn't change the fact that there still is a place with, you know. Carnegie. How did Carnegie get his money? Um, uh, the same way most people get it, like have labor and capital. All right. We're going to look it up. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, in the meantime, um, yeah, thank you for doing that. I I actually want to do more. We, we normally do like dance history for your future or history for your future. That is about like people and artists. But I'm realizing now that there are a lot of spaces that we are named things like LaGuardia high school. I just thought and LaGuardia airport, I was just like. I don't know. Is that just a name that people found? Maybe it's a street name. Didn't even know there was a mayor named right. LaGuardia until like, you know, I decided to Google. So right. it's nice to to do these things. Have you guys so. been in New York? Are you from New York? Both of you? No. Mm-hmm. No, are you? No, no. <laughs> Not <laughs> at all. Plants. Yeah, but I um I was learning about the Joyce lately. There used to be a yeah. Soho Joyce. I, I heard that. and it was like a Dia Joyce. Yeah. Or maybe it was Dia then Joy Soho and all these different things for wow. downtown work. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Did was it rent that went up and then they couldn't afford? Shit, I don't remember. Or um, property taxes, I don't know. Oh. Yes, and you know it's interesting because I'm I'm doing a lot of research on um black female um makers in particular. So having to go back into that that archive and see and hear about places that don't exist anymore and then actually mm. go to people and talk to them about like, mm-hmm. hey, where was this happening? Where were you in this year? And like that's pretty cool and also sad because, like you say, like a lot of the places aren't aren't here anymore. Right. And why aren't they here? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I used to also heard that there used to be like arguably like twice as many performance venues. Oh my gosh! Can you in imagine? New York and in the nineties and early two thousands? Wow! If that be true, either there were a lot more audiences going, or can you just imagine how? Like, do you? I mean, maybe you don't feel it spread thin already as far oh. as like. On a Friday, the amount of spaces that have shows going on. Could you imagine if it was twice as many? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep up. Like, this yeah. fall, there's so many good shows. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that always the, the yeah. good problem to have? It's like... I mean, yeah. Yeah. And then it's, it's like, nice. you know what I do? I'm like, oh, cool. I'm not going to any of them. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to go to all, all of, of them. them. Yeah, I try to go to all. Yeah, I it's think... like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some weeks I, some weeks when, like, in the in the fall or in the spring, you know, in the, the peak season, mm-hmm. I would see, like, four to six shows a week. Uh, see, yeah, that is. And I, I admire that because I get to a point where I can't be a good audience member. Mm. Mm. And um, also, I will say, like, I used to go see a lot of shows because I had to write about them, and that was not as enjoyable yeah, as... Yeah, you had a different perspective. Mm-hmm. It's Riding work. Them. That's work. Yeah, it's work, and it's like you don't get to actually enjoy it, enjoy it in the same way you would if you could just witness. Yeah. Right. Okay, before we uh, transition into the next segment, is it okay if we turn off the lights now that they're starting to... In my eyes. Yes. yes, and also Carnegie made his money through the American steel industry. Ah, that's what it was. Labor. Mm-hmm. You know, you own the business. Labor. Um, just a quick thing about it. I, I really implore people to Google 
not Google, to watch the Netflix Explained situation because they talked about the the way in which billionaires become billionaires and it's like almost 100% capital owning things. Yeah. It's so easy to like labor. And also, oh, this was the main thing I wanted to say. Um, it's easier to become wealthy when you already have the wealth, like inheritance I mean, and other yeah. stuff like the, but <laughs> labor, yeah. the money that we make from like doing labor is taxed almost three times as much as Shut the, your mouth. the money that is generated from owning capital. So that's also like one of the huge. That is the dumbest thing. Yeah, like labor is taxed at like twenty one percent, and capital is at like nine percent. Designed that way to keep the rich people rich. It's almost as if someone orchestrated this. Do it, possibly Mm. these laws. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lil, can you give us a uh, wonderful transition step for the next segment? Yeah, I think I had one, and now I'm gonna change my mind. I think it's all good. It's gonna be PK turns. Ooh, just a nice little line of PK turns. Yes. Oh, it's it's, and it feels so clean when I see Mm -hmm. it in my head. It's just Mm -hmm. like do 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 do. So we're gonna PK turn into the next segment, (laughs) 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 and we're gonna talk about um, we're gonna talk about mental health. And this is this is an episode that I think for folks who um know me or like go on my Instagram, that that public persona of my life. <laughs> we I've been wanting to have this episode for for a very long time. And also I think I just want to be transparent and say that I don't want to have the conversation at the moment at the same time. Like I want this episode to be out. And also because I live with the things that it's like ugh, like I just I'm gonna sink and hide away. Right. At the same time because I know that I'm gonna put this out and I know people are gonna listen and I know people are going to like know the things more mm-hmm. intimately. So I just want to say that. And also, how about before we jump into it, can we also share our reservations in the moment? Like if you have any, because this is a really transparent yeah, sure. platform. Um, I mean, I feel good today. Okay. Um, I'm happy to like bring on to the table like mm-hmm. that that can change at any point for yeah. any of us. So just like open to switching the topic or whatever yeah. at any point. Yeah. I think that's like a good just general rule to have yeah yeah um i don't have any reservations at the moment i am ex- actually excited about the conversation um because i have a lot of people in my life who um are dealing with depression so um i think it's important to understand how to hold space and things to do mm-hmm. um and then also i want to ask are there any things like food drinks toys what anything that you have that you want to pull up, pull out right now? Me? Yeah. Food? Or you, Leo? Yeah. What are you talking about? Or like anything that will help make this conversation mm. a little more digestible or like, oh, okay. do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm good. I think I'm, like I would be courageous. I have the conversations all the time. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just the general thing that comes up when I know I'm about to do the thing. It's like, I want, I want to name it so that it doesn't take over me. That's part of the, mm. the practice of, living with depression and anxiety and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I think before we go too deep, we're going to talk about mental health and we're going to talk about um, some mental illnesses. And I know specifically for myself, I'm going to be as transparent as I feel comfortable about talking about the things. So as you're listening, please um, take care of yourself and you have complete control over how much of this you consume. So you can pause this, you can turn it off, you can set it down. You can pick this up months later, like if you're just not, not ready for it. But I just wanted to like list a few things that you can do while listening to this to take care of yourself. And um, 
especially when you're listening by yourself, like no one's here to judge you. I'm saying that also like talking to myself mm-hmm. when I try to like yeah. force myself to listen to something and it's like, you're weak for not like doing something like trying yeah. to perform for and also i would say too <laughs> environment is important too like I, yeah. I know like when i have to have difficult conversations often i like to have them at my place because i i'm comfortable there mm-hmm. and i i can control other elements that i can't necessarily can control in a con- conversation so as you're listening like you know uh, like a busy ass coffee shop may not be the space uh. or on the train may not be this you know what i mean like mm-hmm. also understand like how your vi- environment plays a role in, Absolutely. in in the consumption so um before we jump into it um let's uh, take a quick break as you're listening to this episode of the Damn Senior Podcast, I just wanted to let you know that we have a Patreon account that has wonderful content on it that is going to be exclusive for those who decide to be patrons. There are many different ways of giving. There are different tiers. They start off at $2 and can go up to 25 but you can just choose what you would like. The um, patron tiers and the donations slash supports, the giving, the, any way you want to think about it, is really going to help keep this podcast alive. There's a lot of costs that go into the podcast, and very transparently, I'm paying those costs um so we would like to find some more sustainability with that as well as help get the guests that have come onto the podcast in the past coming on in the current and going to be coming on in the future to have some kind of compensation for their intellectual property that helps make this podcast amazing and adds to the field of dance in many many different ways so as you're listening to the podcast just take a look on down into the um, show notes wherever you're listening to click on the patreon link so that you can check us out and become a patron thanks Let's get back to the show. To um to jump into this conversation, I think it would be nice um if y'all are game for this to just go in and talk about um like where we're coming into this conversation at. I know Melanie, you mentioned that you have a lot of loved ones um and you want to learn how to hold space. So I think that's a really great perspective. Um but um Lil, would you like to go first, or I can go first? Or sure. Yeah. I mean, I can start. Okay. Um, and thanks for all the disclaimers, and I, I really like what you said about naming what you're dealing with mm-hmm. to kind of um, make sure that it doesn't take over you. Yeah. I've never heard that before. I really like that. Yay. Okay. Yeah. Sharing tools and resources already. Already. Yeah. The best. Yeah. Um, so mental health has been a big part of my life. Well, okay. So one thing I learned in the past year or so of um, working in this topic in the dance community is that we all have mental health. Yeah. And that for <laughs> some people, I mean, this is a no-brainer for me at this point, but it took me a minute to get to this, like, to realizing this. And um, for some people, mental illness is a part of their mental health, but it's not like some people have mental health and others don't. Right. It's just we all have it, and it's different for everyone. Um, but I've been dealing with mental illness, with depression and anxiety and um, eating disorders since my teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a really, really long time first to recover and then um, learn how to stay in remission. And second of all, um, get to a point where I felt comfortable speaking about it. And mm-hmm. I think this is like the point where I'm coming into this conversation from of feeling very strongly about being an advocate for um in in the topic yeah 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 yeah. i think the advocacy part is one that really helped me heal a lot better Mm. um i I realized that um like through an astrological language it's really difficult for me to 
do things that just benefit me. Like if all I can see in the perspective is like, if I do this, then I would feel good. I find so little value in it. And that's something to work on, obviously, because that means I find little value in, um, in my life or in, in the, um, in my own healing process or my own relationship with myself. But the moment that I see what I can do can help at least one other person, then like that's when the engine goes. That's when I can feel like I can push through. Um, and I often post most about my mental or about mental health in general when I'm going through it. Like my mental illnesses call me to go onto Instagram to remind um, anyone else who might be going through that invisible battle at the moment that there's at least one other person and also here are some tools and practices and resources that is helping like Jay Bowie. So feel free to pick them up and see if that helps. So this, this is another reason why like I noted the, the reservations or the fears that I have here, but like I'm fully ready to like push through cause I know um, something from each of us is going to resonate with someone and it's yeah. going to help. So like, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge myself to continue to stay transparent and vulnerable in it. Understanding that also this is a life-saving convert. These are life-saving conversations. I remind myself every time that we have them publicly, like this is more Literally than life-saving. Yeah. And, and because the unknown is just so vast about what someone's going through, how mm -hmm. close they might be to it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I just, I remind myself about that. Yeah. How are you, Melanie? I'm good. I, are we saying like how were we sort of come into the conversation? Yeah. Um, I have uh, two very close family members who are dealing with um, depression and or bipolar um, conditions. And then also a family member who passed away, I think because of mm. an undiagnosed um, situation. And then also I've dated people who, one in particular who like, actually came out of a like nine to 10 year functioning depression mm -hmm. and then realized on like on the back end, like, Oh, I was actually going through this and I yeah. um, started taking steps to um, alleviate it. And so it's really, it's, uh, it's interesting for me because particularly um, growing up in a family where it wasn't really acknowledged and also a community where it's not acknowledged and then having to sort of reconcile, like actually, like this person actually needs some particular care and um, me having to shift my language and my behavior and a lot of the things that I felt was normal, quote unquote, mm -hmm. to support this person and, and change my sort of reality is something that's actually ongoing. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, like a lot of, you know, grew up with, the way we grew up was like, oh, you'll be fine or it's not a big deal. Stop crying mm -hmm. so much mm -hmm. and you should get over it. Why don't you get over it? Melanie gets over it. You know what I mean? Like that mm -hmm. kind of shit. And it actually was not helpful and, and sort of recognizing and understanding that this is actually a different person and they're actually processing information differently. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking difficult. <laughs> it, is. it really is. Um, I'm glad that we have these perspectives because there this isn't a conversation that's only for people who are living with mental illnesses as we mentioned no. everyone has mental health um yeah. and then there's there are those of us who are living with mental illnesses and mental health challenges and and that is one i realize like i said that as like that's a title like that's an identity but i think there's also roles that we occupy ourselves in like i'm not always depressed so when i'm not 
always depressed and I have like you mentioned Melanie like being I could be in your role at a time like have a family member and also I can be depressed and have a family member that's going through depression and I can be learning so there's multiple ways of entering this conversation and other conversations like that so Lil can you talk about okay let's unpack this a little bit at yeah. Gibney because I'm really excited for this I would love to and just to add on to what you were saying I feel like there's no one experience or mm -hmm. um, black and white because and also what you said, there's so oh, there's so much to just unpack of what you just <laughs> said. I think there's so many misconceptions about mental illnesses in general. Yeah. Um, a depressed person could be bubbly and happy yep. and be depressed at the same time. Yep. Um, that's one. Um, but also, I've been in relationships or in a relationship where I was the partner to someone who was mm -hmm. dealing with like pretty severe things at the same time going through my mm -hmm. things and that makes it so much more complicated because there's like a triggering and yeah. I just, it's, there's just so much to, to talk about and I feel like each person's experience and circumstances are different um, but yes okay let's unpack this super exciting just launched a, um, the program in September um, and it's my advocacy fellowship at Gibney Dance Company so Gibney Dance Company aside from um, having us in creative processes mm -hmm. and performing. Um, we are also invited to identify um, a area in the dance community in the dance field that we strongly feel about um, and create programming to kind of better conversation, the situation, yeah. um, create a more equitable um, and healthier mm -hmm. dance community and environment. So as I said, mental health has been a big part of my life forever, pretty much. Yeah. So... Um, it was natural for me to kind of try to dive in into this subject and figure out how I could, what I could create as a dancer without step. I don't know. I get to the point sometimes where I'm just like, all I want to do is quit dancing and yeah. go get my psychiatry degree uh, and, you mm. know, go into like colleges and try to fix everyone. Mm. But, um, there's a lot of smart people at Gibney who, yeah. you know, sit you down and talk to you and say, you've been working at this, you love this, this is like your life, your career, your passion. Why don't yeah. you just take dance and see what you can do mm. in this field that you want to um, impact through your artistry, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, so I just stepped back a little bit and thought about what has been really impactful in my own journey. And I feel like one of the big things in my experience was feeling isolated and feeling like there was something wrong with me and not being able to talk to people or have mm -hmm. um, relatable uh, people share relatable experiences. So especially when I was in college, I guess because I was younger, maybe it was just also because it was the first time where things got more difficult um, and like my depression worsened and my eating disorders got quite serious. Um, I felt like, first of all, this was happening to me and only me in the entire yeah. universe. And I couldn't share with anyone because I would be like f a failure or weak or not strong enough to be a dancer because I couldn't push through whatever difficulties I had. Um, and I think that that's part of what makes it worse at times for people. Um, and over time later throughout the years but I wasn't doing so great but I was doing much better um and I had a mentor someone I've had been looking up to for years and years and years um 
share with me that this person also had had very difficult, very similar experiences in the past. And it was just a moment of realizing that, I, I don't know, it was shocking that someone that I looked up to so mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. had been in a similar situation to what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it just didn't make any sense because I was here, you know, being nervous about failing and not being able to pursue this career. Yeah. And at the same time, someone who I was, you know, striving and like towards being and looking up to so much went through that yeah. and it didn't make any sense. Um, so that really made me think or realize the power of sharing stories yes. and relating. Yes. And kind of chipping away at the stigma so that people can talk about these things more so that that isolation and that, I don't know, we're like ostracizing of like people with mental illnesses could kind of start to melt away so yeah. that the more we talk about it, the more it's normalized, the more we inform each other and get educated on these things. And, you know, um, there's better access to resources. People actually reach out to resources. Yeah things can get caught so much earlier on before yeah. you hit rock, bo rock bottom yeah. where you were like, you know, expelled from school or admitted to the hospital or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like you could go talk to someone and catch things so much sooner. So basically the project at this point um, is a curated um, collection of stories of mm -hmm. people coming out and sharing their experiences with yeah. mental health and... Um, we're also compiling resources to have like a super comprehensive, very open list of yeah. just things in one place for the dancers to be yeah. able to access really easily. So that was a lot of words, but that's no, that's great. No, what, what's on. in the list? Um, I've been breaking it down by like major um, illnesses, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, mostly online resources, hotlines educational um, resources for different illnesses, support groups, um, screening tools. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of stuff. Yeah, something you said that really, um, that resonates is this idea of isolation because mm -hmm. I feel like it can, it can be mental but also physical isolation. And Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, when, it, when it is sort of self-induced and then when there's like actual isolation that's happening and even how you can be in a big ass city and feel very mm -hmm. isolated and alone i mean i feel that all like often here in this yeah. city of like i'm actually here by myself yeah. um yeah so and wanting to i'm curious of like naming other things like that that can sort of help people sort of start to locate like oh i actually may be this may be something I actually need to look into if i'm always feeling yes this yes. way yes. also i just read an article about common words that that people who suffer from depression oh, use yeah. which i can share um please that you know like there's a, a lot of uh first person my i um always never so mm. it's like these like stream of things mm -hmm. as you, words that it, I, I feel like when you say always never those are words that um like indicate a like a very sustaining long like bout with something mm -hmm. or um there's another word i'm looking for like this this sense of like inevitability like it'll never like there there's this there's a sense of hopelessness and i think yes. that's that's the language that when i catch now that i'm like i've been working on it and i found other perspectives to look at my own mental illnesses when i catch myself 
using those like absolutes. That was the word. Right. Use mm. those absolutes. That's when I know that like I'm either um, like dealing with it or like it's it's coming. Like, and I kind of use depression. Um, I, I kind of um, symbolize it as a storm because it doesn't always like, at least for me, it doesn't always like hit hard. It like rolls in really, really slowly. And I think that's the most insidious part about my particular depression is that because it rolls in so slowly, I just begin to acclimate to all the different oh, stages. Oh, and you adjust to it, and then it, it's not like it's a sudden... Mm -hmm. oh, okay. So by the time that it's like... By the time I'm like really in the eye of the storm, it's I look back and I'm like, oh, I was feeling depressed for two weeks. Okay. So it wasn't like... It's not just today. It's like mm -hmm. all... I was, I, was, I was actually just acclimating to all the changes of depression coming um, as opposed to like just being like hit and like dropped down into it. Um, and I think I, I want to share that because it's, um, you mentioned um, having a mentor or someone you looked up to talking about depression and that was something that um, resonated with you and you was like, this can't be, did you did you have like a sense of disbelief about it? Yeah. yeah. I was like, no, 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 you're, you're confused. Yeah. You're <laughs> an amazing person. Yeah. You can't be depressed. You can't, like you're perfect. So it, it so that like expanded the definition of what depression could be mm. for you and that for me happened when robin williams um mm. died from suicide it was i've always looked up to robin williams as like the epitome of happiness and joy like there was no other person who matched such a joyful person and then i started reading articles about some like you know from from people who talked about his life and were more close with him and it was like yeah he was always dealing with these kind of things and it was because he was dealing with those things that he chose to show up so happily and so joyfully. And I was like, wow, that is me. Like that, that is, that was the form of depression that I needed to see to accept that I was really going through something because I was able to show up and be happy and still experience joy and have other people experience joy around me that, um, it was hard for me to believe that I was dealing with anything because I was, I was still like a conduit for this light. And, 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 and now that I know that I, I tell people like I'm a high functioning depressive person, like I've functioned really, really well, um, to the point where I could even convince myself that I'm not depressed because of what I like look at myself producing. And I think living in a society that values production so much that, um, it becomes a, terrible feedback loop if I buy into it that just because I'm showing up and I'm doing well in rehearsals or I'm producing this and I'm making money that I'm everything must be okay um and I love talking about when I was working at Best Western in like a call center that I was literally one of the top 10 salespeople, and I and I was top 10 amongst people who've been working there for decades who like were working there had children put their children through college like I was in that group of people um and when I look back, I remember that I, that's when I, that was the, that was the point in my life that I finally told someone that like, I'm dealing with suicide ideation. Um, and I remember that I was doing well because I was able to go on autopilot mm. and just do the sales, like robotic thing and excel really well in the capitalist like mindset of like selling something because I shut off all of the 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 receptors of human connection at that point so to sell someone a hotel room that i knew they really couldn't afford was the easiest thing <laughs> like, I, yeah i feel like the and also the the i won't call it masking but the way mm -hmm. in which people 
deal with it is also was is challenging for folks who are trying to support or hold space for people because um, two things you made me think of. One is how, you know, there was like this documentary about how a lot of comedians and people like that actually mm-hmm. deal with depression and they use that as an as a way of sort of navigating it. Yeah. But if you unpack it, some of the darkest and um, the darkest minds are coming from comedy. Um, but also this is making me think about how I, I am realizing that one thing that's pretty exhausting for me is that I'm always on high alert, like mm-hmm. always. Because the people that I know who deal with this, if like they call me or they text me, I'm always available, which means a lot of times I'm fucking exhausted mm-hmm. because I don't know if that's the call that I actually need to take because I don't know if they're going to try something or do something, especially mm-hmm. because... One person in my life has tried something twice. Mm. So anytime that they call me, I'm there. Yeah. And realizing like how how I want to be there, but then also how it's extremely draining for me. And I don't always have the, the, the space to support them and then not actually have someone to help support me in supporting mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, is something that is coming up of, yeah. I read something on the way here. Um one of the many Instagram pages I follow for like mental health things um, basically said that self, nope. Um, the act of giving is not the same as self-sacrifice. So that that for me was really important because I often give to the point of self-sacrifice. Right. Um, and I want to come, I want to connect that with what you said earlier, Leo, that we all have mental health. Um, that for those who are in a role like Melanie, like where you're supporting someone and you're there for someone and you're you're um, being like a loving and giving friend, partner, lover, uh, family member that you also require, need, and deserve someone to take care of you. It's the same way. Like my therapist has a therapist, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. That, and I think that's the really great thing to remember is that it's um, just because you're not living. Maybe, maybe you don't identify as living with the mental illness that you still deserve for your mental health to be taken care of as well. Absolutely. And yeah. I think um, from my experience of being in therapy for my own things mm-hmm. um, and dealing with a partner who was quite severely depressed and I was having a hard time, like at a certain point, half of my therapy sessions kind of geared towards me supporting this person's mental health. Yeah. Because it's a lot of work and I feel like especially in loving relationships and family and like loved ones, friends, close people, it's so hard to not be there for them and to kind of respect your space, your boundaries or your own health because it is scary. Sometimes it's it gets like very frightening, like what you said. Thank you for sharing that. That's I mean, it's like one of the scariest things you can face of mm-hmm. a loved one threatening to, you know, hurt yeah. themselves, harm themselves, whatever. Um, yeah, that's a lot to carry for anyone. And yeah. also none of us, I mean, except for the ones who are, we're not mental health professionals. Yeah. So it's a lot to carry. There's a lot of ways I'm sure to learn how to be better. I, um, I did like some online courses of how to, better be a supportive loved one yeah. for this person. Yeah. And there's a lot to learn about how to deal with, um, I don't know, for me it was very informative to kind of know the um, traits of 
like what this person it made so much sense i was like yeah. oh my god this is why you're doing this and this yeah. is why are you doing this and this is why are you obsessing about this and this is why like the smallest thing triggers you to the point where you think like your career like your life is over and to me it didn't make sense at all but yeah. then i read up on it and did some um yeah online training so i was just like oh gosh, this is like you can't help this this is what's happening yeah. to you right now but just learning about that was super informative i don't know it's a lot Th to carry thank though. you for saying that i yeah. didn't even think of yeah going online and looking for resources uh, i want to say to that as well um that i was like okay so i'm currently like not in a committed romantic relationship and i have and i'm working on the fear of that because my last one ended when i started my mental like when i really decided to dive into the mental health journey um, I sat across from my, um, my partner at the time and I told them that I needed to do this. Like I realized that this is a thing. I really need to go into this mental health journey and what I knew about the healing process at that time. And I was like, I, I'm gonna let you know, this is not going to be pretty. Like, I don't want to even, I don't even want like my, my smile and my optimism to, to mask the severity of what this could look like. And I just, you know, they were like, Oh yeah, I can go on this with you. And I was like, great. I'm going to pre present some more things that I can like see in the near future of possibilities and see if you still want to do this. Like our relationship can be tested. You might like not like me at a lot of times. I don't know. I'm not even fully sure of all the triggers that are within here as I begin to excavate. These are just the ones that I know at this moment. Um, do you want to, do you still want to do this? Um, and they said no. And I wanted mm -hmm. to bring that up because you don't have to do like if you don't feel equipped to do this mm -hmm. you can say no and it's actually not the worst thing like i didn't i didn't i don't have any hard feelings towards um my ex for doing that i actually have a lot of respect for them for doing that because i actually fear if they knew that they weren't equipped to do it and then put themselves in a position mm -hmm. um and tried it and you know where we might be at that point um, it's almost similar. It's like if I have this really heavy load and I want to trust to like lean some of it onto you and you say, you know, I got it. And then it cracks and breaks. Where are we at? You know? So yeah. I, I want to offer that like you, if for everyone listening, if you don't feel like you're equipped to do something, be transparent and be honest and let them know like, Hey, I don't know if I can do this. And also forgive yourself if you don't really understand yes. that that's what's happening because I was in a situation with someone a, a romantic relationship with someone who was dealing with it and I feel like looking in hindsight I feel like part of my behavior was like emotional terrorism because I didn't really understand what some of my behavior and 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 things that I was saying was affecting them and mm. they didn't necessarily have the language to yep. tell me that either yep. but now that I'm looking back I'm like fuck I now understanding fully that you're dealing with this this and this and I did this and like I've you know, I've tried to apologize. I've tried to rectify. I've tried to fix it. I mean, it it's not like I don't have a positive like outcome from it. And um, I'm also trying to forgive myself and being like, yeah. I did not intentionally go into this relationship right. trying to be a fucking asshole. And that just is what happened. You know, because again, like I think some of the things that they were actually working through because they had just started therapy also, like there was some shit I hadn't worked through and there was some, there was some trauma I was bringing into the relationship. And then it just created this really horrible cesspool of mm -hmm. shit. Okay. Know, <laughs> really? Yeah. And that's a good way to put it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it fucking happened and yeah. And now like, I'm just trying to, and then it is just trying not to be, 
too hard on myself on yeah. how it unfolded. Mm-mm. And this is why I feel like it's uh, okay. I'm gonna bring another thing up. Um, have either one of you done a mental health first aid training? No. What? Yay. Those exist? They're great. Okay. Yeah. So when I started working about on my project last year, I was doing a lot of research about resources and um, different like small courses or trainings you can do in New York. Um, and there's an initiative um, in New York called NYC Well, mm. and mm-hmm. it's resources, hotlines, text lines, all these things. But a part of what they're doing is also um, mental health first aid trainings, which are free pretty much 365 days a year they're trying to train like 250,000 people as like just kind of first not first responders but just people who have the mental CPR capacity to kind of know um how to better react in situations and how to you know have these difficult conversations better um it's an 8 hour training it's free you could just sign up online um and i did one i did two so far because i brought one to gibney for the staff in i think february which was really great um and yeah we never really learn how to talk about these things though right and i think the the wonderful thing about these conversations becoming more ever-present with things like podcasts with things like youtube channels and just the 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 um, sheer technological ability mm-hmm. to share narratives that didn't really get the light of day when media was more controlled is that we have um, we have these conversations more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're happening more often, so that I'm when I, I I like to think about like what the youth are seeing in comparison to what I saw when they're when I was their mm-hmm. age. Um, one summer I was um, at like a stay away situation at Purchase College and me and the staff were listening to the students talk about like their friendships. And one of them, we asked, oh, you know, we're playing a game. Can you put your phone away? We're going to like, we just want everyone to be present. She was like, oh, hold on. My friend is um, dealing with depression right now. I'm just like texting her through it. And I was like, blown back. Like, I'm sorry, what? Like, <laughs> you're just casually, and I want to mean casually, I meant like, like you, 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 you heard us clearly, and your response is the most valid response, and your tone was like level and grounded. Mm-hmm. You didn't seem like flustered. You didn't seem like, oh my god. You just seem like, yeah, my friend lives with depression, and sometimes she needs to text somebody through it. So I'm that friend, and I text through it. Wow. You know what I mean? That's and beautiful. and we had to stop whatever we're doing to let them know, like, this is a very precious thing that you're doing that we didn't even feel we had the space to acknowledge within ourselves, let alone to another person. Mm-hmm that we were dealing with depression, that we could ask for help and that it could be something as casual as like, let me just make sure I have my phone around me to text my friend to see if she's okay. And also we asked like, you know, so what happens if your friend says, you know, she's thinking about, you know, taking her own life. And she's like, well, I have her mom's number and you know, I have the, just have the whole 14. (gasps) Yeah. I thought these were college kids. No, 14. And I was like, this this is the beauty mm-hmm. of of growing up along with some of the other challenges of growing up during this time but this is the beauty of growing up during this time is that certain conversations that felt like the furthest when i was 14 are just right in their back pocket with their phones to be able to pull out and google podcasts about depression or youtube channel about you know what mm-hmm. i mean and they can find help so much easier and then and then like as we found someone who helped expand what that definition of depression was, they can find it through someone else sharing their stories and their narratives. 
You know, it makes me wonder if actually depression is like is is like a normal. It like it's it actually is the. You remember how we were talking about mm. the center before and like how the center needs to be expanded to include uh, a lot of different things. Yeah, and that how I feel like it feels like it's part of the human condition to go through these waves and that we all we go through them in different ways mm -hmm. but that there's something about it that's actually very um part of being a breathing human yeah and especially with this time being in this in like this particular era of life yeah i, I want to go into that a little bit more because i think well i i would say i know now that i started my my mental health journey my healing journey me addressing like the depression anxiety the suicide ideation and the childhood trauma that that helped birth these things um that movement i.e dance and my connection with other people are the top things that i need when i know um that i need support or i need to heal and i need to address the things um so i wonder if we could talk about how dance um is supportive for us individually um, and what other research might support that, um, especially when we talk about like the isolation. I think that's the first thing. Being in rehearsal with other people who know about my mental health challenges allows me, gives me a lot more confidence to actually show up because right. then they already know. So I can come in and say, hey, y'all, I'm dealing with depression today. Whether they decide to love on me or not, just the fact that you know this and I don't have to hide it is one less place that I'm afraid to go to yeah. um, when I leave my home. Oof. Yeah, um, I feel like part of the isolation for me and um, choosing to isolate myself is because it is so exhausting to have to perform oh God. this like <laughs> I'm fine routine yeah. mm -hmm. when you're not fine. Yeah. And I feel like I've done that so, so many times of just like forcing myself to go out or go to work or like whatever, socialize yeah. and have to... It, you know, just exhausting to have to put on this I'm fine yeah. routine. Yeah. Um, and what I've actually found opening up to people over time about it is that it's, you know, what you said, so much easier. You come into the space, you're like, I, this is what's happening today. Mm -hmm. Now let's also. hang out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Say, but easy, but wouldn't you also say maybe for some, it's actually difficult, again, to sort yeah. of open yourself up in that way and let people know. I mean, I don't, like I'm thinking about like when my father passed, it was I felt like I was going through grief. It could mm -hmm. also have been depression. I mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm. But like actually I didn't want to be around a lot of people and actually I didn't want to dance. And I guess that was a clear sign that there was something happening. And but then when I did when I had to force myself to bring some people into a choreographic process because I had a show, um, it was interesting because they pushed me in a way that actually didn't want to be pushed, but then after I sort of got into it was really grateful for them. Okay. But then and also choosing two people who I trusted mm -hmm. to that like, okay, I know I don't like they were like, no Melanie, it might be helpful to do this, this and this. I'm like, well I don't want to do that. And they're like, I know that. I can tell you don't, but can mm -hmm. you just try it for us? Like I'm nope, I'm not doing it. And but they stayed with me and sort of massaged it in a certain mm -hmm. way that when it finally sort of uh broke wide open, I they were there. And yeah. I trusted that they were going to be there. But that was fucking hard. And it took like months yeah. for us to even, for them to like get me to a place where I was even comfortable to do that. Yeah. That's real. And I'm glad you mentioned like your relationship with friends because there, there is the depression itself. Like that's, that's a whole thing in and of itself. But I think what we're talking about is the shame around it. 
Like mm-hmm. we it talking to someone about depression or having a workplace or work life environment where people know that you're going through depression doesn't immediately get rid of the depression. That's not the thing. But what it does do is help get rid of the shame that is surrounding it that that can feed the depression yeah. and make it worse. So we're already cutting off like the 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 life source to depression to grow by having places and people and and something that I'm I feel like one day I'm going to find myself looking in the mirror and realizing that I'm a Dr. Brene Brown like a- acolyte or like <laughs> <laughs> follower of some way cuz I quote her so often but it's 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 because she breaks things down in a way that is both like logical and like actionable in the same moment so she talks about how there are a few kinds of ways of being a friend that are just not supportive when someone's dealing with shame of any kind, but I'm, we're going to tailor it to depression is that, um, asking them like, well, can you just stop being depressed? Like just, just the inquiry is, is enough to, is, is too much actually mm-hmm. just asking, can you stop? Or, um, trying to, trying to like, logically fix it like if i move this here like it, like trying to walk them like oh well okay you're you're depressed because let's say um or sorry asking like why are you depressed so that you can try to like logically walk them out of it like that that doesn't that actually doesn't really help as much as you may think it does um when you're on the outside and then also um doing the thing where it's like um trying to pull them like trying to pull them and push them into places like being any kind of forceful when really I saw this meme years ago before I realized I was depressed is that I just need someone to just physically be in it with me like I'm depressed I kind of want to be in my little like fort my make-believe fort and if you really want to help just like be in the fort with me we don't have to talk about it Mm -hmm. we don't have to necessarily do anything about it like don't don't necessarily like adjust your behavior unless you feel like I need like I need like immediate help. Like don't right. try to fix me. Yeah, don't try to fix me. Just right. be my friend. Like just exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, but it's interesting because people have, I think, different ideas of what that looks like, what friendship. And I think that's the important thing is that it's you want some? Um, it's it's about being the kind of friend that you've been when they are when you assume that they're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are some friendships that are like you know. I'm going, I'm, I'm, their relationship is that one friend pushes and the other friend like follows the push. So if you're that kind of friend, you know, do that with that friend. Um, but, but I think it's mostly about like not changing behavior, not trying to fix the thing, not trying to, um, diminish the severity of it or, or actually over aggrandize it. Like it's, it's something about like being very, um, being very present i think that's what right. it is and understanding that like people the way they go through it is not going to be on your fucking timetable that's that's one Tell thing mm-hmm. you're like well you've been doing this for a month now no it doesn't actually doesn't work that way yeah you can't you can't be like okay well by wednesday you should be mm-hmm. you should be all set yeah no and there's and like if you if you feel that you're exhausted by it because it happens like i have a friend that was dealing with a certain kind of depression for years and i was like yo i am exhausted so let me go tag in one of your other friends. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is also um, something that came up in um, like romantic relationships for me is you can't be the one person who's supporting this person. You mm-hmm. know, 
Like you need that person. You can be their closest person, live together, all the above. Um, but you cannot be the one sole carrier of yeah. all the shit. Mm-hmm. Like you need friends, you need support, whatever yep. support kind of support you need um, in the professional realm. Like mm-hmm. the one partner or the one best friend, you know, the one parent, who knows, for like younger people, maybe, I don't know. Or yeah. not younger people, who knows. Yeah. Um, like it, it can't be that exactly what you said. Tag in another friend. Have mm-hmm. like a whole bigger support system. You know. Yeah. That's so important. Um. Yeah, it's so important. And I realized that the other thing that helps is the, is the physicality. Mm. Like I, this, everyone who has everyone's relationship with depression is very specific to them. You know. And but mine is that physical contact and physical mobility really helps. The moment that I feel like my molecules are stagnant and then also like uninterrupted by anyone else, I feel like that's when like it just, the the depression things like multiply. Ah, you're making me think of other things too. Like, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, have you been outside lately? That, have you been next to a tree? Have you mm. touched the soil? Uh-huh. Like, also, one thing I miss are pets, like animals. Those, also yeah. Help activate us in a certain way to... It, and pets are, you know, they're notorious for being the ones that can sense those things mm. and literally come that's around true. and just cuddle on you because they know that, like, that's what you need, a little physical contact. This is what I tried to say when I had that stupid mouse for a while. I was like, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> yeah, I, I named him Nero. And I was like, you know, because I, I, you know, I can't have pets in my apartment, but mm. I was like, I want a pet so bad. And I, because I, I, like, I miss that companionship that you right. can get from a pet. Aww. And then he showed up and I was like, okay, universe, I'll be more clear next time. But... Up, like clearly we we're supposed to be in community for a while yeah. and even now like he's gone not going well he's gone but i still like sometimes i feel like i hear him or i feel his presence which is, uh, i know it's weird he's just thinking but. about you oh no he's like he's he's in some landfill so uh, oh okay well i hope he ain't um, yeah, I think I think with dances we have a great opportunity because if, if it's already our practice to be moving, mm-hmm. um, the idea of moving again may not be as far away for someone who doesn't already have a moving practice. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I I like to tell folks who, oh, especially when I'm not in a state of depression, I'm like, okay, here's the things that you need to, like, not you need to, but if you want to help me, here are the things that will really help me when I am depressed because th- that list isn't ready when I'm depressed. Like, Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. But also oh, be yeah. mindful that like, Sometimes movement actually just it's not bad or good, but it can dislodge some things. Mm-hmm. Like I had that I've had that happen too, where it's like I was holding something so strongly in my body that when it got dislodged in dance, mm-hmm. that like I actually didn't have the the equipment to sort I well first of all it, it like it caught me off guard and then mm-hmm. I didn't I'm like, Oh, my body's actually holding this in a very visceral way mm-hmm. that I just had to sort of like let it go through me and then I ended up choreographing a moment like it happened in this piece every time like that same moment mm. so I had to choreograph a moment in the piece where I actually did cry but then I like uh, sort of like yeah. brought it back brought it back in to then finish the work yeah. like it happened every time in this particular moment when this particular physical stuff happened right mm. and to to add on to what you were saying Jay a little um, having a crisis plan is yeah. such a good thing and you make it when you feel fine yep because then you can look back and think about all of the things that you need when you're not fine mm-hmm. so that when you're not fine, you have it literally written down somewhere yep. if it's on your phone or like on a piece of paper or mine's yep. on a piece of paper of, I feel like shit. I open it up. Like, <laughs> what do I need to do right now? Yeah. Okay, I'll call my best friend be like, hey, I feel like shit. What are you doing? You yeah. know, like, because yeah. I don't know for myself. I know when I get into, you know, not feeling good, 
I it's like I can't make decisions. Like, yeah. I don't know yep. what to do with myself. I don't know how to help myself. I don't know what I need. Yeah. And to have that kind of, you know, pre-planned is, yeah. is so good. Um, but then also to tag on what you were saying about um, things dislodging through movement or in rehearsal or in class, um, I feel like it's also such a responsibility for for choreographers or teachers and um, collaborators in that kind of setting to hold space for situations yes. like that. Yes. And I feel like I've not always had that experience, but I really do appreciate when... Um, that space is held because I feel like we're always asked or mm -hmm. invited um, to be so generous with yeah. our experiences. And, you know, it's, you kind of never, like, we, I don't know coming into a space, like, yeah. what might come out mm -hmm. yeah. or come up mm -hmm. at yeah. any given time or day. Yeah. But I feel like it's so, you know, you might not be ready. But if there is that space and support for that to occur and it be okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's beautiful. I felt, um, I saw somebody post something about the challenges of being like an acting major or a drama major. Um, someone, I guess it was in response to someone trying to belittle the craft or the major. And they were like, um, imagine at 8.15 a.m. you go into class and the assignment is to bear your most like, um, unbearable wounds for the sake of being like adjudicated and assessed by like another person. Like that was their that was the acting practice for them. And my perspective on it was like, y'all intentionally do that? Oh yeah. I feel I like in like, dance we accidentally do that. Yeah. Like, I, we, thinking, well, I don't want to do that. Right. Like we. But I think what that means in this context is that we need to think a little bit we need to bring another perspective about the body into what dance is like especially when we're teaching it and we're in um we're in programs and institutions and and have a moment where we're talking about like the body is housing a lot of information yeah. you're oh, coming so into like the trauma the, like trauma lives in the body absolutely the body holds the score yeah keeps the score yeah. that's the book yeah yeah yeah, book. <laughs> yeah so the fact that there is very there are very little programs that are doing that, but acting has already like understood that relationship. I think that we we could bring in this trauma informed as well as like mm -hmm. mental health informed um, perspective to teaching dance, so that it's so that it's less accidental, and we can talk about the ways that we can even use that as a healing process. Because that's what I've been doing for my work. When I realized that it's there, as I'm reading the body keeps the score, mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I have this I have this trauma story in my mind I want to work through. I'm going to, I'm going to purposefully use this this tool that I know that is dance to purposefully dislodge and then uh, then then work with what comes up. When I mean work with them like journal about it, call my mom if I need to call, like you know, do something about it as opposed to accidentally cuz that's exactly what happened to me the first time in college when we mm. did it was actually through an acting course um, that they brought someone from the drama department into dance to do this with us. And the task was to be physically stuck, like in movement and like, you know, try my, I use my hand. So I was like trying to pull my hand away with the other hand and then also like repeat a line, like get stuck in the, in the text. Mm. I like broke out of the movement and walked to, it was like leaving the class and I can tell that the room still had that like performance body language and mm -hmm. you know, like which was like, oh, this is really good. And I remember being so angry at that. Like I'm going through something that I didn't expect to happen 
And also no one can tell that I'm actually going through something because of, of stupid performance, like the quote unquote error of performance that I was like, this is not, I like yell back, like, this is not a performance. And I like stormed out. You're like, oh, what a good oh, performance. Well. Right. And right, <laughs> yeah. and even, even further. And I was just like sitting for a good long while thinking like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Mm. But I think it's, what's, what's good is that maybe there's something also too about this accidental happening because... Mm-hmm. I feel like personally, like I'm, I'm able, I'm more equipped to deal with this kind of stuff now, like mm-hmm. for myself, like especially with the work I'm dealing with. It's like there are moments I'm like, actually, I am going to cry for a good 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Like that just came up. I'm not going to suppress it. We're mm-hmm. going to go through it. And then also being like, OK, so knowing that, again, this is why, Jay, we've talked about this before with my Sapphire work. It's like this is why I have someone who's with me before the performance yeah. and after. Performance mm-hmm. doula. Yeah, because I def- <laughs> that's what we call them. Because it's like yes. actually, I need I, I need support emotionally, like yeah. in in the space of what the work dislodges, mm-hmm. and being okay and comfortable that it's like I'm not going to transition in five seconds okay. out of it, mm-hmm. and then be ready for a talk back. Exactly, and that is not my expectation, and being able to articulate with other people, and I'm like that shouldn't be your expectation either. Yes. Oh, post performances is I still haven't understood like what mm-hmm. i need or what i what like what is happening yeah feels like you just like you know went yeah through the most intense thing yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. it's like know. you know like how and like especially with performance we're so invigorated and ah, so like yeah. that just happened and then having to sort of like put the brake on that feeling and that emotion not letting it sort of ride the way it needs to like yeah. That stopping is so interesting that because we do it we do mm-hmm. it to sit and have a conversation about what we just mm-hmm. did yeah and I think I think in some in some spaces I'm I'm able to do that. Like there are some performances, not all, but I noticed that when um when I started to invite the language of post performance depression into mm-hmm. like just my my mm-hmm. practice, I started to realize that it feels similar to like a vulnerability hangover. Like in the sense that oh, like Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, very I, much so, yeah. Because I think the thing the reason why it feels like a hangover is that it's not always a reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. Like the relationship that we've all assigned ourselves to being is that the audience members are coming in to consume yep. and I've decided to give. Mm-hmm. So once I've given all the things that the performance requires, where do I rejuvenate from? Where? where? And if I and if I haven't set that up, right. um, then I, I feel the depression. And I know I know some of my friends are like, I have to go to the club after the performance. Oh, you're talking about post... Oh, okay, okay. I see what yeah, you're saying. Like, I thought... Oh. I guess I got confused. Okay, I see where you are now. Because, like, a question is, where do you where do you sort of refill after that depletion? Yeah. It's just like, I took myself... I did a, a trip to Costa Rica for three mm-hmm. days after my show because mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. instead of a post-show depression, I'm going to have a post-show celebration Absolutely. or reflection. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and then... Then my my ass got back and still got depressed. I said, you know, what? <laughs> you know it's a it's a trial and error. Are uh, you right? <laughs> and okay, we're still learning. Yeah, um, and and on us still learning. Um, we understand that this is not the full conversation about mental health, mental illnesses, dance, and and in this relationship with one another, um, and that we have to as as all the other conversations we had on this podcast, we have to revisit them again and we have to revisit them with more nuance and, and specificity. Um, but we're going to have to bring this one to an end at this moment. And So, Alil, where can the people find you? So, the project you can find on Instagram at okay, let's unpack this, just all lowercase. And my personal Instagram is Lil Z. 
L-E-A-L-Z-I-E. I love it. Um, and do you have any other church announcements, any other performances or stuff coming up that people can come to? October 10th um, is our OK Let's Unpack This inaugural um, event. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have some leaders in the dance field, including Jay. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> um, furthering this conversation. So yeah. check it out. Awesome. And, all is, and the event is free, right? It's free RSVP at the Gibney website, and it's going to be at Gibney 280 Broadway. Awesome. The entrance is at 53A Chambers. I like to let people know that because people be it walking around like, mm-hmm. where is it at? Um, also, all of the information is going to be in the description box wherever you're listening. Melanie, do you have any church announcements? Yes. I've launched a Patreon for Sapphire, the graphic-esque novel. <laughs> Yep, it's super exciting. Check it out. Um, I am excited about it, and I also love how this platform will provide some support for the project and also hold me accountable to getting these stories out into the world. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's at like www.patreon.com backslash forest. One of them slashes, y'all. Yeah. Melanie Green. <laughs> it will also be in the description box. Yeah. Um, my Patreon is still going on as well, and um, uh, I want to say thank you to the my friends who've you know. Did, Gave, given be, gave gifts the words the language i gotta find out what's the best language for that like become patrons gave gifts supported you know what i mean like who all became of that patrons who became patrons patrons um but for this particular podcast i just want to again uh let the listeners know that we also have a patreon for this podcast um it's patreon.com backslash dance union and it's um going to be in the description box wherever you're listening where any any level of giving is going to be helpful to support this podcast and help um, with operating costs that are coming out of JBOE's pockets at the moment, as well as <laughs> um, creating some revenue streams so we can do other really great and fun things. Um, and lastly, but really in my eyes, like really most importantly, help compensate our guests for coming on and sharing the intellectual property because you don't have to. Right? <laughs> and that shit is valuable. You know yep. what I mean? Um, so... Um, Let's do our our dance union has. Do, is anybody ready to go? Because I'm not burning with one right now. I'm not burning either. My dance union has time for conversations. Yes. Mm-hmm. My, um, I have one. Go. My dance union has a podcast space that does not have a specific time ending and beginning space. Meaning, meaning we have our own podcast space that we can go as long as we like to and feel comfortable <laughs> as opposed to like, ah, we got to go now. <laughs> My dance union has a discount, um, flight tickets. Oh, Ooh. did you hop on that one with the green? Huh? Did you no, hop on absolutely the- not. I was Dang. like, I don't trust it. Dang, there Why was are you this- trying to get a whole bunch of greens on a plane? Dude? <laughs> don't it, trust it. It was so clearly like a green initiative marketing thing to like one airline went green. So they wanted to give everybody whose last names were green or and ended with an E to like get some discounted or free. Free. Free flights places. And then was like, uh-uh, don't trust it. <laughs> <laughs> Always on alert. All right. Because we have to. That's a whole nother. Uh-huh. Let's save on that. <laughs> as to why that is like the that is always a go to of like. Don't trust it. On hey, alert. Absolutely. As yeah. Anyway. Um but um yeah, so thank you for listening to another episode of the Dance Union Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Dance Union, as well as please email us any questions, thoughts, or concern at concerns at the dance union podcast at gmail.com. Um oh also I haven't said this in a while, but please share this with people that you think would 
like benefit from these conversations. We have so many conversations or an episode like this is 53. So, wow. you know, I think it'd be really dope if you could just take this and be like, hey, there's this conversation I would like for you to listen to. Let me just like copy the link, text it to a friend, text it to an auntie, text it to yeah. like, also I think it, for this particular conversation, send it to somebody who is in a position of power so that we can make um, more dance spaces um, trauma informed as well as like mental health informed with like NYC well, because it will be great to stop in my perspective to stop having to explain to choreographers why it's important to just check in with dancers before we start rehearsals. Like, yeah, bring a mental health first aid training to every that's college. It. Yes. Oh, young people figure out how to rule things better. Yeah. On, you know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We can make we can make a lot of changes just by inciting conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think this podcast is a great tool for that. So, um, so we're going to get out of here with a good old five, six, seven, eight. We, we out. out. This was hard.